0: Welcome to the XTERRA podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The XTERRA mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the XTERRA website as well as on this podcast. My guest is Blair DeWitt, CEO of Lunar Station Corporation, a startup that provides cutting edge lunar environmental intelligence that is critical for planning and executing missions on the moon. Blair, welcome to the program.
1: Great. Thanks to be here.
0: Tell us, first of all, what is lunar environmental intelligence?
1: So there's a lot of information contained in the moon. And those that are going to the moon need to have better access to it. One of the critical pieces is what's going on on the moon at any given moment environmentally. Where's the sun position? Where's Earth? What's the soil like? What are we going after? Uh, What's the terrain structure like? Those are all the environmentals. And then there's radiation and uh, mineralogy as well.
0: So, how do you know? What that is, I mean, very few people have been to the moon. <laughs> that is and so, right. So, how do you how do you how do you determine what those what those factors are?
1: Yeah, um, fortunately uh, for us at this point in our history, the moon has been explored for about sixty years. Uh, It's been explored in the 50s in the lead up to uh, Apollo and actually putting humans on the surface of the moon. And that exploration has continued, even though humans haven't been on the moon since the mid 70s. So all of this data that's getting generated from satellites, uh, other uh, automated landers, gets accumulated and stored. And uh, for us in the U.S., it's stored in the NASA planetary data system. And that means that there's a huge repository of raw data in there that can be pulled into an environment using cutting edge analytics, have better insights. And there's still um, currently the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter that is still generating new data. Now, it's a singular device, so the rate of new data is uh, somewhat constricted, but that's about to change.
0: Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to found the company.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so my career sort of bookended with aerospace. Uh, while in college, I was going for flight school with the Marine Corps and had an opportunity after college, Uh, to pursue that further and then NASA came calling and so I, I had this decision to make and I went and was a software engineer with NASA. At the time Hubble was already deployed on orbit and needed some repairs. We were focusing on space station freedom so there was a lot of activity in low earth orbit at the time and you know working on those projects and understanding how much great information was coming from Hubble. Um, through the various wavelengths was really my first exposure to in-space remote sensing. And, you know, combining that with what I uh, had learned while uh, with the Marines and training, like how to do ground navigation. And if you're in an aircraft, you know, how are you going to maneuver? It was a great combination uh, as far as setting my my North Star. Um, Then the mid-90s, Uh, Silicon Valley came calling and I, you know, left government and went into pure high tech and I spent decades in pure high tech and it was great. What an exciting time to be there in the dot-com bubble. Uh, It was craziness. You couldn't define the market, but the market was being created as these uh, companies continue to put um, really what we take for granted today is the internet. Uh, really sort of organizing it at the time. So it was a fascinating experience to go through. Um, and then as most people experience, you, you stay on a certain career path for a certain amount of time and, and you start looking around like, okay, I got this. What else can I do? And some people call that a midlife crisis. Uh, sometimes a, a sports car or a new hobby takes care of that. For me, I decided to go back to school. <laughs> and and so in going back to school uh, I had a particular interest in okay what has been happening in space and to my pure jo- delight was new space and so really got into it and uh, hadn't looked back and so while on the campus uh, while I was doing my master's started looking at the economy of new space and that there were these different economic zones um, being established. The low earth orbit, middle, uh, mid earth uh, orbit, geostationary orbit. And then there was this lunar emerging. And I said, "Ooh, that's an interesting emerging market. I'd already kind of gone through that. Uh, and so I started uh, exploring more and more about the lunar uh, economic zone uh, that was really it, very nascent and um, all of a sudden started really uh, uh, organizing the entity that is Lunar Station Corporation on, on campus and uh, upon graduation uh, launched the entity and you know, here we are six years later. <laughs>
0: I have to ask, when you were in flight training in the Marine Corps, did you have designs on being an astronaut? Were you hoping maybe to one day fly in space?
1: You know, actually, even before I figured out I wanted to be a military pilot, I wanted to be an astronaut. So Mm -hmm. it was always sort of baked in that my path to space was something that was just ingrained in me as a child. And, you know, the opportunities that space holds is greater in aggregate than the opportunities on earth.
0: My, uh, I, I have a tenuous connection to that Hubble repair mission that you mentioned. Ken Bowersox, who was the, the commander, I think, on that mission was two yep. years ahead of me in high school. Is that right? Yeah. I, I actually know him. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> he, he probably wow. wouldn't know me from Adam's cat. but
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, Hubble got a bad rap up in the beginning because the one wavelength that didn't work was mm-hmm. the one wavelength that taxpayers are really excited about, the visible wavelength. Every right. other wavelength was working great. And we were processing vast amounts of, of downlink data. Um, and being on the inside of that, watching how the taxpayers responded to one wavelength being out was unfortunate. But, you know, it, it really got... Uh, 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 NASA as an organization focused on, okay, we can actually do work in space. It doesn't all have to happen on the ground. Let's go up and they had a great platform in which to retrieve it, repair it, redeploy it. And I think that's what you're seeing some of the commercial entities in low earth orbit focusing on like, okay, we know how to do this but how do we do this servicing uh, more of a, a global economy?
0: Who else is on your team, Blair?
1: Yeah, uh, so I have Dr. Frederick Chenet. Um, I have retired Navy captain, uh, Dennis Williams. And we've got some technical staff um, in Brownsville, Texas, uh, which is an interesting story in and of itself. And then we're advised by what I, I love to call the New Space Dream Team. We have Mike Griffin, we have Lisa Porter, Kevin O'Connell, Keith Massback. we have Terry Verts and also Sean Casey. And when you look at those six advisors, they represent all aspects of space over many decades of experience, whether they uh, were in government service first and then went commercial or they were on the commercial side and brought in uh, to government. But there's a healthy balance of government agency-sponsored activities in space and commercially funded activities in space.
0: Now, your flying ship project is called Moon Hacker, which on your website you describe as a lunar station cloud. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So when we started organizing the entity uh, that is Lunar Station Corporation, we naturally went out to the market and started uh, trying to understand what the needs are. What can we do to help the lunar economy accelerate. And right away, what came back was, if there's a lot of data from the moon, um, we have a lot to build, and there's a critical piece missing in the middle, and it's information so that we can make decisions on our engineering designs, on um, you know how we need to operate our missions, And so when we further explored that, we could see that that gap was actually much wider uh, than our initial surveys of the market. And so what we wanted to do is take the best practices from high tech and bring it into aerospace. And that is to provide a software as a service or a cloud offering for these analytics. Because uh, there's a lot of, uh, heritage type information systems in aerospace you've got to get the cds you've got to install the software you've got to do all this work and you've got a dedicated server you need people to manage all that and it's problematic because if you're building the best next generation lander do you really have time for that no (laughs) right (laughs) so how do we help lander companies, rover companies, rocket companies, mining companies really focus on what they want to be focused on. And that is to just give them access to a platform that is standing by, ready for them to log into.
0: And of course the blockchain guys, I'll say that data is the the new currency. And it sounds like you're working on capitalizing on that.
1: Absolutely. And You know, there is not much difference in how the moon is going to grow as part of our uh, experience as a species, Uh, no different than crossing a big ocean and Mm -hmm. finding uh, a new island. You know, when you think about humans over millennia, over millennia, there's this reach. And how you reach initially is uh, with uh, uh, a... sort of king or queen's blessing and after that there's a pause and then the everyday person starts dreaming and thinking about oh well we went there what can we do there because we need we need help uh we need more uh space we need more resources there's you know uh different things there for us well same thing's going on with the moon the kings and queens have sent their uh, uh, missions to the moon, mm. and now it's time for commerce to come in. So it basically, the moon becomes our eighth continent, which is fantastic because it's in the neighborhood. It, it, it is the place to go in space um, economically. You can survive a trip to the moon. Let's say you forgot your 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 Twinkies uh in your ham sandwich or your donuts I, you'll be okay uh yeah. on a fast ride you're back before you're really in trouble um you can't do that with mars <laughs> right like not
0: yet <laughs>
1: you can't leave anything <laughs> behind uh, yeah. uh for mars so if you can get to the moon as sort of the hub for space that makes it a very scalable model and so the lunar economy is really about how does how does this eighth continent become actual the, the actual hub for other places? You know, you catch a uh, quick flight to the moon, and then you catch your big flight to Mars, to the moons of Saturn or Jupiter, wherever you want to go. You can make that a very viable economic model in short time because the moon has enough resources on it, including water, that you actually can set up shop on the moon and start building things there, having a workforce there, hosting guests who are going on to further our reach in space.
0: So, so Blair, what are you learning from the Moon Hacker project?
1: Well, I think the the thing I really get excited about learning uh, with the Moon Hacker Project is the fact that there are so many people interested in the moon. Hmm. That in itself is um, fascinating. It's very dynamic. Everyone's looking for something slightly different than the other. Um, and it's fascinating to be in this sort of center of the the interest in the moon and our ability to service those unique finds uh has been very interesting uh, it's been insightful i've i've learned so much about the moon because of the the people that we're we're helping
0: i'm talking with blair dewitt ceo of lunar station corporation on the xterra podcast take a minute right now to click subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our podcasts, or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. So, Blair, let's talk about some of the use cases now for Moon Hacker. How are you seeing it being used now and kind of project that out a little bit into what you're hoping it will be used for?
1: Yeah. Uh, definitely what we're being used for right now is site identification. Now, as I mentioned. Previously, everyone's got a different uh, interest in the moon. So one site for one organization wouldn't necessarily be applicable for another organization. So but they both have this understanding that they know what they're looking for. They just can't find it. So we help them find it and then understand it. And so that has uh, allowed Moon Hacker through its iterations, to have a very solid understanding of the terrain, the topography, the astrodynamics uh, that are necessary for a successful mission. That being, if I'm going to use the sun's power, where is the sun rising? Where is it at midday? When's my last ray of sunlight? Because when the sun goes down, you either... Try and survive the night without any heating element which is is very challenging or you then initiate your heating element so that you can wait for the next sunrise and then you got plenty of power and heat and, and all that sort of of capabilities. Uh, so understanding those dynamics, are you can you see Earth directly so that your communications is really the traditional, I see Earth, I talk to Earth, Earth talks to me, or are you going to have an obstructive view of Earth, therefore you need a relay uh, communications yeah. network available to you? So those are also important considerations for a, uh, a desirable site. Uh, radiation exposure, not just galactic radiation, but radiation that actually reflects off the surface or uh, albedo-based radiation, and that is um, uh, topography-centric. How much reflection are you going to get? Heating. Um, Rock distribution is actually an interesting use case because there's no rain and wind wearing down these rocks. Mm -hmm. So, the only thing that really moves rocks around are either moonquakes, which happen—you know—they're—they're—they're they're, they're part of the, the natural uh, movement of the moon around Earth and around the sun. But more importantly, are the meteorite strikes that occur on the surface every year. Um, we see them as meteor showers. We kind of go out in the middle of the night and like, oh wow, you know, yeah, that's a that's a great frequency. Well. there's nothing slowing those things down at the moon. So they're actually incoming and the kinetic energy as a way of displacing the surface. um, Now, fortunately, given the maturity of our solar system, the meteorites that are impacting the surface are are relatively small, but still traveling very, very fast. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every now and then there's a big enough one. We can see the impact here on earth with an infrared camera. So yeah, you know, there's, there's still some, some bigger impacts that occur. And so the displacement, but rock distribution is one of those things that you can look at a picture from the sixties mm-hmm. and it's not going to be the same as a picture you would take today, simply for the fact that we go through um, these meter showers every year. They don't stop. Right. And right. that means that those projectiles are also um, experiencing the moon as they're experiencing our atmosphere uh, every year. So, there is a dynamic nature to the moon's surface, and we're here to help understand that for our clients.
0: Lunar Station was a contributor to the Department of Energy's report titled Commercial Lunar Propellant Architecture. Is the moon, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, but is this a good place for fuel and resources for the space economy?
1: Absolutely. As I mentioned, the moon is so close to us uh, that it is a great uh, waylay uh, hub and because water's there there's really three things that you can get from that uh, you can get your propellant you can get um, fundamental um, uh, building um, materials so you take regolith and you add water and you almost have like a, a very pliable printable uh, material for mm-hmm. um, structures and of course life support so the fact that there's water on the moon makes it a very viable hub for what we want to do there and where we want to go beyond the moon. And the identification of water has been relatively new since 2009 and understanding the dynamics of how the water is created on the moon organically and how it's been placed there just through our solar systems uh, mechanisms of moving water from one place to another uh, via asteroids and comets.
0: So what is the feasibility of accessing those resources in the medium or long term? How, how soon do you anticipate we'll be able to actually go there and get them?
1: The majority of the lunar economy as it is today is in pursuit of that water. So uh, the probability is very high. The Fun fact here is that it's not really going to be a government agency uh, that's going to put a nation's flag on that water. It's going to be a private entity. And it won't be just one private entity, but a cohort of private entities. So you'll see mining concerns, you'll see infrastructure concerns, you'll see power all working together as a cohort to obtain this valuable resource. Uh, that's on the moon.
0: Your company was also a finalist in the startup Texas Pitch Fest. Talk about that experience a little bit, and would you recommend it for other startups?
1: Absolutely. Um, It was a great experience. And um, we were connected into the Brownsville community uh, via our advisors, and i love the history of brownsville as far as it relates to aviation and i love the fact that they're also a center for new space as you know spacex has uh, a uh, significant investment in their r d operations in brownsville and so we had an opportunity to participate in a new space oriented um, community and there also happened to be this hey yeah, let's talk about your company. And they also had a mentoring process as well. So you didn't go in cold Turkey. And I find that the, all these mentoring processes that are around for startups, you know, again, whether you're doing a blockchain startup or a new space startup or a health startup, there are so many places to get help. Uh, it's you, you're not uh, sort of going it alone. Uh, you just have to find those mentors that that Uh, you connect with and that they connect with you. And, and Startup Texas was fantastic for that. Uh, Just like Catalyst Accelerator, uh, that is in Colorado. Uh, So we have these strategic allies in how we uh, can grow. And, uh, you know, we don't, uh, we can't think of anything better than, than those entities.
0: Has funding been an issue for you as a startup or is this environment right now good for companies with the right idea, the right product and a good team?
1: Well, how long is this podcast? <laughs> the,
0: the lovely thing about the internet is that, you know, I'm not Joe Rogan. We're not going to go three hours, but.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I, I think what people need to understand is that uh, there, are, there is always funding available. Um, but you have to consider the cost of capital. Um, There are significant costs of capital, but you can get funded. And then there's smart uh, cost of capital. And that'll take a little bit of time and extra effort to make sure you know who is coming in, uh, what does that money represent, what are their expectations uh, as far as how uh, they consider this a win. Uh, And then you know, there's a low cost of capital, um, but it means more that it, it sets a different time frame. So uh, if you're getting uh, VCs, you know, everyone likes to talk about VCs. They're one of many mechanisms in which to get funded, uh, but uh, sometimes it's overlooked are grants, uh, government awards. You know, there's, there's a cost to that, uh, but it's low. Uh, loans, okay. Uh, if you are going for a loan, you just have to make sure you can pay it back within the time frame. for VCs, family offices, you know, the larger uh, capital placement mechanisms. There's a broader window there. Uh, and, and so, yes, we're, we're funded. We already knew that we were going to be a C Corp out of Delaware because we needed to have that flexibility to raise funds over time with different audiences. And so uh, right away, we got funded in our angel round. Um, and you know our ability to have that flexibility and evaluate various costs of capital have been because we started the entity in the right form. And so for any entrepreneur listening, that is a critical phase. You know, do you want to be a sole proprietorship? Do you want to be an LLC, an LLP, an S-corp? I see, these are really important decisions in the beginning because it has a, a, a contributing factor to the cost of your capital. Sorry, mm-hmm. I, I tried to abridge it.
0: <laughs> no, I, I get it. And then I know you're you're a software engineer, not an economist, but is it are we in the kind of an environment right now, as far as the economy is concerned, that that you feel like new space is going to continue to have those kinds of opportunities or is the money going to dry up?
1: That's a great question. You know, there are certain parts of new space where the market is getting uh, well-defined. So now you have a strong basis of comparison and capital is um, judgy. They will compare you with whatever they have available. And the more a market grows, the more comparables they have. And therefore, but for the founders looking for funding, they have great models to follow to build on. Uh, for the moon, it's an emerging market. And so it's hard to find comparables. And it's also uh, hard to know how to model yourself because that market is being defined as I'm talking to you. And it, Again, kind of goes back uh, 25 years of my career to the dot-com bubble, and nobody knew what the internet was going to be used for, what could it be used for, and there were the skeptics, there were the the visionary yogis, and then the rest of us in between, right, that figured out day in, day out what the internet was going to be initially, and then kept seizing on opportunities to further define it. Now, anyone doing the internet-based startup business, it's well-defined, there's plenty of failures and successes. Um, and so I'm excited to see that the lunar economy is getting more and more defined. PwC did a great job of uh, their latest lunar market assessment. Um, I think they were absolutely accurate in how they broke it down uh, the estimations of value for the various uh, sectors and submarkets within those sectors. So that's a that's big a- mechanism.
0: I think that's an interesting analogy. I was working at C-SPAN during the, the mid to late nineties when when internet video was first starting to come on. And yeah. to at that point to think that we could do this on the internet was was unfathomable. And now it's, it's commonplace. And I think that's gonna be something that it happens in this new space arena as well.
1: Exactly. And I think when you look at all the other sectors um, in the global economy, energy, manufacturing, uh, shipping. There's been these revolutions uh, that have been disrupting but enhancing. And I think it's now aerospace's term and that new space really is a disruption mechanism. It's It's not a litmus test if you're cool or not. It's, can you come in with a new approach and how effective is that new approach in advancing the market? And I we saw this in the dot-com era. You know, there were heritage um, computer manufacturers and software mm-hmm. makers. And then there was this crazy bunch of people doing new weird things and That interplay between what had brought the industry to that point and what was going to take it that much further is where aerospace is. There are fantastic heritage organizations in aerospace, great pedigrees, right? Uh, Just fantastic. But now there's this whole new slate of new entrants coming in, doing things differently and shaking it up. So you have this really interesting, and I don't like the term old space. I mean, that. It's not because I have gray hair. I just think (laughs) heritage is important and heritage is earned. And I think that's an homage to the companies that really have brought the industry to this point. So I like talking about heritage space and new space. Uh, I don't like talking about old space because it's not interesting. Um, But where the industry goes from here is really exciting because it's confusing. And that's very good.
0: Which is a great lead into to the last question, and we are just about out of time, but look out, Blair, if you will, the next 10 to 15 years in space commerce and lunar stations roll in it, and tell us what you see.
1: Uh man, amazing question. So I see us having a supply chain that's healthy and vibrant to our eighth continent, and that the eighth continent is able to provide more for us here on earth and give more opportunities to more people there. And that the supply chain is so vibrant that it expands our ability to obtain Mars, the moons of Saturn, other places in our solar system and maybe beyond. So that in the next 10 to 15 years actually is reasonable because we're not dealing with a single space agency run by taxpayers. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a global economic engine. And when that global economic engine gets turned on, it accelerates. And our role in that is to make sure anyone that wants to participate in a lunar economy has the best information possible so that they can make the best decisions because we want them there. And very early on in, in, in late 2015, early 2016, when we were really organizing, that's what we felt our calling was, was to help everybody have a great mission to the moon. And our part is to make sure that they have all the information they can want to make the best decisions possible.
0: Going to have to leave it there. Blair DeWitt is CEO of Lunar Station Corporation. Blair, thanks for being with us on the XTERRA podcast. That's going to do it for this edition of the XTERRA podcast. Check out our YouTube channel and be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can also get daily space commerce news at XTERRAJSC.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at XTERRAJSC. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.